This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. All right, welcome back to the program. Top of the hour, Bill Armstrong, the general manager of the Arizona Coyotes, uh, who today announced they have acquired Jacob Voracek, who will not play, um, and a six-rounder for Columbus in exchange for netminder John Gillies. Uh, $7.8 million cash remaining on the deal, and there is insurance uh, coverage for his injury. Okay, uh, in the meantime, speaking of the Arizona Coyotes, yesterday they dealt Jacob Chikrin to the Ottawa Senators in a very tidy deal specifically for Pierre Dorian, general manager of the Ottawa Senators. Uh, we know some of the key players have asked for help, and if you look at the last two games against the Detroit Red Wings, they have certainly earned it. Uh, our good friend, one of my favorites, all-around good guy and co-host of the Coming In Hot Senators podcast, Jason York joins me now. How you doing, York Chop? What's the latest? Hey, I like I like how you describe that, Jeff. Very tidy, very tidy by Pierre Dorian. I, that's a great way to sum it up, right? Like it's, I guess, yeah. right place, right place at the right time. A lot of teams uh, filled their cupboards with the defensemen they needed, and you know you got to give Pierre Dorian and his uh, and Ryan bonus credit, right? They were patient. They were patient, mm-hmm. and uh, and in the and in the end, people were shocked because a lot of people didn't think the defenseman was going to come to fruition here that it's been talked about all summer all season and then presto boom last minute jacob chickren's going to play yeah. for the ottawa center so it's uh, it's fantastic the city is buzzing here in ottawa jeff let me uh but before we get back to jacob chicken one thing i just want to insert it's one of those it's one of these weeks jason where like every two seconds i'm stopping to update something uh yeah. just got a note nothing to the joel edmondson to tampa uh situation sounds like there were conversations but that is uh going nowhere uh so put that one to rest at least for right now that is not happening between those two teams uh no joel edmondson to Tampa, okay, but getting back to defensemen, yeah, like this is, this is a, uh, this is a, a nice and yes, I'll I'll use it again, tidy bit of business by Pierre Dorian. I'll talk to Bill Armstrong at the top of the hour for the the Coyotes' perspective on it. But you know, anytime you can help your team and not touch the roster at all, um, and this is a team that you know, shades of the Hamburglar here. Can they do this? Uh, make a charge and and get into the playoffs. It's kind of got to be a lot of uh, a lot of fun right now. Uh, from a defenseman's point of view, because listen, you're a defenseman, Jason. Um, what and like what does Chikrin add to this blue line? I know there's a lefty issue in a lot of them. Um, and how does he help the Ottawa Senators immediately here? Yeah, so I, I, first off, I'm a big lefty righty guy. I, I love defensemen on their on their strong sides, uh, but I, the yep. guys they have in those positions, though, Jeff, when you look at their their lefties, Thomas Shabbat is very talented. He can play both sides of the ice. Artem Zub's your your real only righty in that top four, so he'll obviously he'll stay on the right side. But Chikrin can do it. I know he's done it in the past. Sanderson's the guy that's probably going to stay on his left side. He's done it all year. He's a first year guy that's having all kinds of success. So. I don't think it's as big as an issue, but but what it does... So everyone's talking about this year, right? This is a great move for this year. Yeah, it is good because he's going to help them. It's still going to be very difficult for them to get in the playoffs. I think if the Senators... This is just my prediction. I think they're going to be able to take a shot, a deep playoff run next year, make the playoffs year after. I think they can do some damage. When, this, when the core, Jeff, gets a little bit, a little bit more mature... 
a little older, get a playoff series under their belt. So that'll be Claude Drew will be in the last year of his deal. And Brady Kachuk will be that much older. Tim Stutzel will be that much older. So, and, and guess what? Believe it or not, I had to double check. Jacob Chikrin's only 24 years old. So for me, Jeff, he gets a yeah. chance to grow. He gets a chance to grow with this, with the core here. So it makes sense on so many fronts. It helps them this year for the push, but it really helps them next year and the year after. Yeah, I I, uh, I I can't agree with you more. Like I I wondered as well about the Detroit Red Wings because it's not as if yeah. he's you know 29 years old and entering his 30s. Yeah, like, he would still fit something like what the Red Wings are doing. You know, other rebuilding teams that we see around the NHL. And you're right. See, here, here's the other thing too. Even if the Ottawa Senators don't make the playoffs, okay? Yeah. What Pierre Dorian has done is he's helped this team. So now, like, you want to have all these young players. You know this. You played in the NHL, Yorkie. I mean, you can agree. You, you know this one all day long. You want to make sure that your young players know what a real full schedule feels like. Exactly. Because when you're, a, when you're a consistent playoff team, you know, and you're out by Christmas, it doesn't feel like a full season. But if you're playing 82 games right to the end, that kind of experience is invaluable when you are a legitimate playoff team. So regardless of whether you make it or not, at least those kids are going to get the feeling of knowing what it feels like to have a run, what it does to you physically, what it does to you mentally, how you have to stay focused, all the things that you learn about getting you know, everything in your life off the ice in order uh, so you can perform night in and night out. Like that kind of stuff. You only get with experience. You can read all the books and listen to all the podcasts yep. about it you want, but you need to experience that as a player. And I think what Pierre Dorian has done here now is given those young Ottawa Senators players at least a chance to know what a full season feels like. Hey, hey Jeff, I, I've flown a lot. I've flown a lot on airlines. I, do I know how to drive an airplane? Absolutely not. So the Senators, <laughs> like, here's the thing. And you hit the nail on the head there. The other thing I'll add to what you just said there, Jeff, there's a different kind mm-hmm. of pressure when you're playing at this time of year because the games become that much more important. This is the first time in a long time where these young players and the Senators are going to experience that different kind of pressure when there's some skin in the game, right? Playing at the beginning of the NHL yeah. season, yeah it's, yeah, it's hard. Yeah, it's the NHL. But it's it's early. You're, you're not... You're not. It's not like, hey, if I don't score here, we might not make the playoffs. If we don't kill this penalty off, maybe we lose this game. So this will be the first time these players are going to have these thoughts creep into their minds, and then you can really, you can really judge what you got as a team, Jeff. You can say, well, this guy can play when the heat's on, and, and then you learn from that, and like you yeah. said, you get better. And, hey, one more thing I want to add to Chikrin, and with the salary cap era, this is why another reason I think it's an outstanding deal his cap hits under five million, right? Like how many? How many? Oh yeah, top, four six. I'll call I'll call I'll call, I'll call Chikrin a top two because I think he's a top two. How many guys can you get at that caliber under five million dollars in, in the league nowadays? It's it's next to impossible. I look at maybe Rasmus Anderson and Calgary, who's on an unbelievable deal, but those guys are few and far between. So to get him and to have him locked in, that's what makes this deal so good for me. Top four. Great value, um, and I'm just man. Oh man, could, could could no other team not take salary on? When you really think about it, it's only 
like the cap hits, yeah, it's 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 just under five. But for what you get, man, there's got to be some teams kicking themselves today, wouldn't you think? Well, he, he, here here's why it, it's an interesting question. So here's here's my thought on that. I think that if you're a contending team, like I'll just take the LA Kings for example. If you're the Los Angeles Kings and you're interested in Jacob Chikrin as we knew the Los Angeles Kings were, in order to bring him in, like when you're a good team, when you're a playoff team, generally you're closer to the salary cap you're ceiling than the floor. Yeah. Yeah, so you need it. to send money the other way. And if Arizona wasn't in the position to take any money at all, that disqualifies you from a trade. That's why I looked at Detroit, because Detroit could have made this deal as well. The, the deal yeah. that the Ottawa Senators made, the Detroit Red Wings could have made the same deal. And they were close to a playoff spot as well. So, you know, it became more and more obvious that Jacob Chickwin wasn't going to go to a Stanley Cup contender right now. He could go to a team exactly. that's going to grow into a Stanley Cup contender maybe sooner than later. But as of right now, like, I would have loved to have seen the, the salary cap yoga that Boston would have had to do. Or the Maple Leafs, <laughs> or the Edmonton Oilers, because it it would have been really, really interesting. But again, yeah, yeah. if Arizona wasn't in a position to take back salary, we saw the Voracek move this morning. Well, it just happened officially about 25 minutes ago. We all know what the score is with the Arizona Coyotes. They want the most amount of and the highest possible picks available. That's what it became obvious they needed. Ottawa was in the position to do that. I think a lot of teams wanted them. Like, I think the Florida Panthers were around it. I think the St. Louis Blues were around it. I think the LA Kings obviously were around it. The Edmonton Oilers, the New York Islanders, like, there are Boston Bruins, Maple Leafs. Like, there are a lot yeah. of teams that were in and around Jacob Trickren, but they all needed to send money back. Ottawa didn't, yeah, yeah. and that's why they got them. Yeah, 100%, 100%. But to me, everybody always says this. You need a defense, but you need a top. You just can't get a top four defense. But how do you get a top four defense? But this is a top four D with a great salary. I, I, if I'm one of those other teams, I'm shipping somebody out to make room for this guy on my team because he's got term, he's a great age, and he's a good player. So, anyways, great great move by Ottawa, Jeff. Uh, and uh, it's it's mm-hmm. been crazy here in the city. There is a huge buzz, so... <laughs> it's uh, going to be inter- it's, it's going to be interesting because there's so many teams, there's so many teams that are flirting around that wild card position. And hey, I'll be honest, it's still going to be tough for Ottawa. They got a very tough schedule. So I got a tough schedule, but this is for me. They're playing with house money now. But listen, like how like, this is much better than it was last year. Last year, like the, we, we all knew who the people, the, the teams that were going to be in the in the playoffs in the Eastern Conference. We we knew who they all were by Christmas. Like, yeah, it's just a matter yeah. of who is going to play who. This is much better. Like, this is much yeah. more exciting. And the fact that all these players from the West are coming to the East, and I keep calling it a Eastern Conference octagon, and it is. Like, New Jersey loads up, and the Rangers load up, and the Maple Leafs load up, and even now you Ottawa Senators uh, going for it and, and loading up here. And there'll probably be still more moves that we see of players going West to East. To me, this is like last year in the Eastern Conference, with all due respect, that was boring. That was yes, super yes, until it we was, got to the playoffs. It was, it was so boring. Yeah, no, and there's some great and there's some great matchups. If if listen, Toronto Tampa, that could be a Stanley Cup Finals, but it's going to be the first round. It's it's a shame the first round of the playoffs is always the, it's always the best round, and and this year it's going to be 
if you get a Rangers jersey first round, like, come on, like, how good is that yeah, going to be? Yeah, man. With the moves the Rangers just did and what New Jersey did. So the first round is going to be yeah. so intriguing again this year. And, uh, man, <laughs> Boston Bruins. Hey, what's going on with Taylor Hall, Jeff, right now? I'm, I'm the one interviewing you right now. LTIR. I know, like, here come, here, here come the conspiracy theories, right? It's like yeah. Taylor Hall. Yeah. In, in, in the role of Nikita Kucherov is Taylor Hall. Like, I can. I know the NHL has sent a note out about it, saying we're going to pay close yeah. attention here. We're going to scrutinize. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Any, you know, 18, 18 million over the salary cap, T-shirts, and Stanley Cup celebrations. <laughs> I, it's. Listen, the minute you saw Taylor Hall going on LTIR, they made the Tyler Bertuzzi move. You know the conspiracy things yeah. are, uh, are are going to be out there. But um, absolutely, it does help them with cap. Does help them with yes, cap it space? Does. Uh, I yes, suppose it, does. it certainly does. Uh, do you think uh, Dorian's done now? Is this like the 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 the, the um, final the final chapter of this book? Like this is his team? I think they perhaps try and get a depth forward, like maybe another center iceman. They're still pretty thin down the middle, Jeff. Like Tim Stutzler has been, he's yeah. been all world, especially the last month here, but you gotta remember oh, yeah. he's still only, tw- oh, yeah. he's still only 20. He's 21 years old. It's crazy how good he's been. Um, yeah. So you look down the middle, yeah. you look down the middle, Derek Broussard's going to play his thousands game. He can play some center ice for you. Um, you got, you got Kastelik and you got Pinto. So that's, it's not a lot of experience down the middle besides besides uh, Broussard because the other three I just rhymed off to, they're still really young guys. So I think if he's going to do anything, it's going to be to bring in a center with some experience, uh, preferably some some ex- big game experience, and probably wouldn't have to give up much for that. So I, I think I think he makes one more move if if it's there to make, Jeff. Right. Um, okay, listen, on that, we'll let you go. Uh, always great catching up. I didn't even ask you, but it's almost impossible to have a, a conversation about the Ottawa Senators and not ask about the sale. But I guess when you yeah. make a move like Jacob Chikrin uh, by Pierre Dorian <laughs> yesterday, it's actually yeah. dominating the headlines right now with uh, with Ottawa. For, for another time, uh, York Chop, for another time, we'll talk about the impending sale yes. of the Ottawa Senators. You be well and... Uh, Enjoy the Chikrin era as it begins here for the Ottawa Senators. You be good. We'll talk soon. Always a pleasure, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Thanks, pal. You be good. Uh, there he is, uh, the one and only Jason York, former NHLer, um, now uh, doing a podcast, and it's really good, too. Uh, the Coming In Hot Ottawa Senators podcast is outstanding and must listen to. Uh, Kevin Allen coming up in hour two at the bottom of it. We'll talk about the Detroit Red Wings and their machinations, and I don't think that they're done either. Uh, but joining me next, uh, very much looking forward to this conversation, Bill Armstrong is the gen- general manager of the Arizona Coyotes, uh, whether it is the Jacob Chikrin deal, whether it's the Shane Gostas bear, whether it is... You know, the, um, the latest move right now, bringing in Jacob Voracek's contract as well to give them some trade flexibility. We'll talk about Nick Schmaltz as well. Other members of that Coyotes team who may be ex of the Coyotes. is all up for grabs next. Bill Armstrong, Arizona Coyotes general manager, joins me next. Merrick's show continues. Keep it here. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. 
You know, we've got a um, an hour into the program, and considering all the things that we've talked about, and like we have to, it's trade deadline time, and the deadline closes tomorrow, three o'clock Eastern. Uh, we didn't get a chance to mention at all, and even there, we were talking to Jason York about the Ottawa Senators and the Jacob Chikrin deal tonight. We will see the debut of Patrick Kane as a member of the New York Rangers as the Ottawa Senators face off against the Rangers. Ten games on the go around the NHL uh, this evening. One of the headline makers around the NHL and will probably continue to make headlines uh, right up until the deadline of Friday at 3 o'clock Eastern is Bill Armstrong. He is the general manager of the Arizona Coyotes, and he joins me now. Bill, good afternoon. Thanks so much for doing this. Oh, Thank you very much for having me. Uh, the pleasure is mine. So a couple of things. One, congratulations on getting the, uh, we'll focus initially on Jacob Chikrin, on getting the uh, the Jacob Chikrin deal done. In your mind, was there any way that this could have actually gone past trade deadline and we'd be doing this all again, maybe going into the draft, into the summer <laughs> or, or in the next season? Well, it, I, I think it dragged on for a long time, you know, um, there are some things I think for for you know Jacob he was uh, you know he came in last year had a, had a so-so year and so that that kind of made it a little tougher and then there were some injuries at the end of the year and then all of a sudden it kept dragging on and on you know and there's the, you know the, mm-hmm. we had a great relationship through the process Jacob's very classy he's a great player he handled it extremely well um, he's very honest with us about it and we we tried to make sure that we we worked with the player but also got the best ask for the club and what would help us move you know move forward um so that that was a process to go through um i, I like the deal that we found in ottawa because of the the ability that you know we we have a chance to pick uh, somewhere between 6 and 18 and that's that's uh, those picks are hard to find and and you can make hay in that area in the draft mm-hmm. Um, I know you're not going to tell me specifically. I mean, I think I would love it if you did, but I don't expect it. How many? Um, how many teams? I mean, this is this is 18 months here, so maybe it's like well, 31, Jeff. Uh, how many teams ended up calling on on Jacob Chikrin? Well, you know, you're in the process. Every GM calls you and they say, "Listen, I'm just doing my job. I just like to find out the ask." You know, um, right? You know, and and, and it, it it's. It's a little different behind the scenes because not every GM has what you're looking for, right? We're, we're looking for picks and as part of our rebuild and where we want to move forward. Um, so not everybody has that. Sometimes they have equal players that your staff might not like as much, uh, and picks are more important to us. So, um, you know, you certainly talk to all the GMs. I would say there's about eight teams that, that we felt that were serious coming down the stretch, and, and we limited them to about two at the end of the day that, that, that had what we needed. And we kind of focused in on, on trying to get deals uh, done with those clubs. What were the must-have things in this deal? Like I, I, I'm thinking, you know, we're not even having the conversation unless you can, you know, check these two boxes or this one box. Like, was there that basic standard that you that you insisted you worked from, or there was no point in having a conversation? Yeah, we, we looked at our, our our basic ask behind the scenes were, listen, we, we want two first-rounders or, um, you know, we wanted to walk out of this, the, the deal with a high for, a chance to get a high first um, um, in a, another prospect in a second round or a high first in, in, in two seconds. So that, that was kind of what we stuck to. Um, you know, that's, that's what I did when I was with the Blues is kind of work the draft. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of... You know, partial to good pockets of the draft where you can have huge value, and um, it's 
it's hard to get. You know, we got up to the 11th spot last year. Uh, that's hard to get into that range to pick. Um, so we wanted to make sure that we had that opportunity that we could take a good swing and a good player. And we felt with Ottawa, there's 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 an opportunity to do that with that pick. You know, um, Saturday nights after Elliot and I do our segment, usually Kevin Bieksa comes up to me and says, what, no Chikrin update? I mean, we're just so used to having a, a Chikrin updates almost almost weekly. Um, is there, uh, were there Were there other times over this past 18 months where you felt that something was close or was it always still, you know, a couple of pieces away or one big piece away. Any any time during all this you thought maybe hmm maybe Kevin BX is going to get his his final Jacob Chickren update. Yeah. Uh you know I, I I felt like we we never really came close until we got to the end here and it felt like um you know that that for us was was what we were looking for in the deal. Um you know in the landscape, you know, it's interesting doing the, you know, because it was changing, you know, teams that you know, we take money back on the deal. Um, and that's hard because, you know, for us, we're in, we're in the middle of a rebuild. Um, and we use, you know, that type of money that we would have to take back on the deal to, to take bad contracts in the following year. And it would have prohibited us from doing that. Uh, and sometimes, you know, for that type of money that we're looking at, normally we'd get paid on two second rounders to take that type of money. So for us in the, in the rebuild and, and how we structured to do it, uh, we couldn't get to that next step because of the money coming back our way. So, um, you know, this this mm-hmm. deal had everything that we liked in it, but um, it took us a while to kind of get what we needed out of the deal. And uh, uh, it, it did drag on with the saga. I found myself as a GM to turn off the social media <laughs> and, and just focus on dead in the trade. <laughs> I, I also, too, got Jacob Chickering updates about every five minutes on my phone, too, so. <laughs> yeah, uh, there it was a very, uh, very popular topic around hockey circles, and will probably uh, continue to uh, to be so. Um, you know, one of the curiosities when we all found out about this deal yesterday, one of the curiosities that I had uh, was this: if you had, like, if Pierre Dorian had called you in, I don't know, October, and offered the exact same deal, would it have gotten done? Um. You know, I think there's a little bit of, you know, it's hard to say because you don't know where they're going to finish. You have a better idea of your estimation of where they're going to finish now. So it becomes more attractive. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the same thing at the draft where, you know, your value of, of what you're going to get back at times gets less. But as a team, you're willing to take that because you know where the draft pick is going to land that, that you're getting back. So, you know, obviously the it, it moves a little bit as, as the season goes along and you get tuned in a little bit more. And, and uh, you know, I, everyone, you know, there's a lot of, I think people were surprised, like, the, you know, when you look at the uh, the Tampa Bay, uh, what they gave up to get you know. But I think everybody's in their particular situation, you know, and, and you know, for us to get a, a chance to get a high pick, um, that's, that's huge for us. And, and uh, we like that. I mean, um, sometimes, you know, if you get a, you know, a second, a third, a fourth, you know, it, 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 it those are all good picks too. Uh, but, you know, from my experience in the draft, you get a, you get a chance to pick high. Um, those are money makers and, and they can change your franchise. You know, what, one of the issues, um, with that is that you've now made the Ottawa senators a better team 
And obviously we yeah. think that, okay, so, you know, Bill, Bill wants a high pick here and we get that, um, but he's just made the team that he's dealing with a, a better squad. How much do you take that into account when you're completing the deal? You know, i.e., yeah, we'd like to have, I get it, you want a top five, protect this thing, but we've just made you better. Uh, we do have a first round pick, but you, we don't know how much better you're going to become. Like, how does that affect the nature of the conversation around this deal? Yeah, it, it, it's it's interesting that you ask that because that's something that plays out in your war room uh, when you're going through that process of of just looking at it. Okay, you know, and sometimes also too, in, in you have players that are with your club, and you know, okay, this guy leaves your club, he's going to be way better with them because you know what they have, you know, the type of skill level they have around him, um, and that all plays into how you how you make your decision. But you also play it against you know, what other clubs are there, you know, and where those picks are coming in. So mm-hmm. there's a little bit of estimation on, on your part as part as the, you know, the player is going to make them better and you've, you've got to put the best deal on the table for your club. And at this particular moment, uh, that was the best deal for us. Um, there is a, a sense, and you've already sort of talked about this a little bit as well, that, that right now, the Arizona Coyotes are not in a position to take back salary in in deals. Um, whether it's you know we saw the Gosses Bear deal to Carolina for the third this deal with the uh, yeah. with the Ottawa Senators. There were more we suspect on the horizon. Um, a is that accurate? And what do you think? I know you've you're trying to turn off social media, and I get it, and that's probably the sanest thing to do for all of us. Yeah. Um, but like when when you hear that, what goes through your mind? Well, I. I, I it's it's based upon us taking on deals again next year to generate assets. If you go look at the assets that we've generated with our plan, there's not a team in the National Hockey League that have generated even close to the amount of picks that we have, or for that matter, has ever been done in hockey before. Um, uh, so for, for us, we're going to continue on our path, and we're going to use every dollar to generate an asset. Um, you know, people can spin it. Uh, other ways all they want look at the draft board um what we've got on the draft board has never been done in hockey as far as acquiring assets and, and backstocking picks uh, um if you look at what we've done with our picks so far i i believe the Yanis mosers of the world and the logan coolies you know and uh, you know for us it's it's just moving forward making the most of our we're going to give you a call back, Billy. You're just sort of um, uh, uh, warbling out there on your on your phone. We're going to give you a ding back. Ben, uh, Bill was just addressing the issue about um, not being able to take back salary uh, in any of the uh, in any of the trades. There's there's plenty more to get to here with Bill, and I'm going to move on to a couple of different topics when we uh, when we get him back here. Being joined by Bill Armstrong, the uh, the general manager of the Arizona Coyotes. Uh, there is the issue of Nick Schmaltz and the nature of that injury. Um, we should probably talk a little bit about the most recent deal, and that happened today, which is taking uh, the contract for Jacob Voracek, which does open them up to moving other players. I know a lot of people might look at that and just say, oh, they're just taking it for the salary cap floor next season. But this is a deal that allows the Arizona Coyotes to get to the salary cap floor this season and extend them the ability to trade. Well, I just mentioned Nick Schmaltz a second ago. That would give them the ability to trade him or other players, maybe Karel Vimelka, uh, their netminder, who I would imagine has been very highly sought after. 
So we'll stand by to get Bill Armstrong here back on the uh, back on the line. The one thing that is quite obvious here, and you know, when I asked the question about would you take this deal back in October, I thought the answer was really interesting. You need to wait to get to the trade deadline to find out where that team is going to be picking. So it seemed quite. You know, it seemed quite deliberate that, no, they wouldn't have taken it then, but they'd take it now. You can probably look at that and say, well, what happened? Did you soften on that stance? But the answer is we're trying to find as as high a draft pick as possible. Um, and even though they've made the Ottawa Senators a better team in the process, uh, they're still going to get a, a very high first-round draft pick here uh, for that player. Um, bottom of the hour, just want to let you know, we're going to get on the Detroit Red Wings page, and that's another team uh, that I had wondered about over the past couple of days, whether they'd be in the market for someone like Jacob Chikrin. But we'll pause on that conversation. Kevin Allen uh, coming up at the bottom of the hour, and we'll get on the Red Wings page. Bill Armstrong rejoins me now. Sorry about that, Bill. Your, your phone was just... Um, cutting out there a little bit wanted to make sure that you had full audio for your 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 full answer to the the idea of taking back money and uh, and arizona right now not taking money back on deals yeah i mean the advantage of not taking money is is really just about acquiring more more assets for the following year through bad contracts and being able to spend that uh, that money um to generate assets and if you look what we've done on the draft board it's it's unprecedented um, I don't. Th- I believe it's never been done before to backstock as many picks as we have, um, which allows us to continue our rebuild and eventually, at some point in time, go buy players when we get to that point. So we're, I believe we're we use our dollars wisely in Arizona, and I, I believe we we use them to create assets. And I think you can see that on the draft board. Um, real quick, two real quick ones here. The Ben Hankinson tweet from last night about Nick Bugstad wanting him released to play. How do you address that? Oh, I, I, I think that that's, that's easily addressed. We're, we're protecting our asset at this point. Um, and we're giving, you know, uh, Nick Bugstad a chance to go on to win a championship. Hopefully if we can move him on to a, a championship club and that's all we're doing. And, uh, you know, uh, okay. I think people, I think social media is one of those things that, again, I turn it off at this point in time. I think Ben was joking more than anything. Uh, but, you know, again, here I am having to answer the question. But, you know, myself <laughs> and the player in, in the organization talk and, and listen, it's the best for the player because sure. of the simple fact that everybody knows what Nick Duke's dad can do and, and we're just protecting the asset. Last one for you. Um, there's been a lot that's been said about the Arizona Coyotes this season. There's been a lot that's been written, talked about, discussed, debated. Um, I just want to surrender the floor to you. And if you think that there's anything that's been said uh, incorrectly or you've taken offense to or you think is wrong, like the, the, the floor the floor is yours, Bill. Is there anything that you've heard or read, social media or otherwise, that you think is out of bounds? The floor is yours. Uh, you know that's that's a great question. That's probably one of the best questions uh, you know to put me in a, a place to speak. Arizona, you know, you, you got to talk to the players that play here. Um, we're kind of like a hidden gem down here. I, you know, it's an unbelievable uh, quality of living, not only with the you know the the temperature of what it is every day in the in the winter when you play here, the setup for the players, the no traffic. You're ten minutes from the practice rink. You're ten minutes, pretty much from where we play at the mullet. And, you know, to where we fly out, it's 10 minutes. It's a great quality of life for the player. Uh, We've got some of the best taxes in the game of hockey. 
Um, so it's really we're kind of the you know when, when players get down here and they play in here and the and how we play in the mullet, our home record speaks for itself. It's a great atmosphere. People get into it. It's a it's a different venue than uh, anywhere in the NHL, and our players buy into that and they love it here and they play hard. And you can see the, the way we we continually play every single night. Um, you know, we're not a perfect organization, uh, but we're an organization with a plan, and we're going to follow through on that plan. And I think the one thing I would tell people behind the scenes is if you look at, um, you know, the process that and how we treat our players behind the scenes and, and how we're different than most clubs, the way that we warm up our sports science uh, and our quality of care for our players, I think we're pretty unique as an organization. And I think we're pretty easy to rip on at times. Uh, but if you look at the draft board and some of the guys we've already got, we're going in a very positive direction. Excellent. Um, Bill, thank you for spending as much time as you have with me today. I know it's really busy. Deadline's on the horizon. I, I really appreciate it. Congratulations on the deal so far, and we're watching to see what's next from the Coyotes. Thanks so much for doing this. Thanks, Jeff. You take care. Great talking to you. There he is, Bill Armstrong, the general manager of the Arizona Coyotes, um, one of the more intriguing teams around the NHL. There is, there is one thing uh, that I would add um, to what Bill just talked about, about the Arizona Coyotes. Um, for those that have gone to see a game, like I understand from a revenue point of view, although I do believe someone told me ticket sales are actually trending higher than they were at jobbing.com. But from a from an NHL HRR players association curious about you know the finances of the Arizona Coyotes and what that means for things like the salary cap, um, the experience at Mullet Arena kind of looks cool. <laughs> like I really want to go, um, you know, before they move on, and we all have our fingers crossed they do get the new arena um, done. And because I think we're most of us are all on the same page. Like there are just some that just are just completely done with the Arizona Coyotes. I want this thing to be a success. I think a healthy team for this way, selfishly, I want this thing to be a success because a healthy team at that part of the United States um, is good because I want to go see games there and I want to go spend time there. Um, Arizona is one of my favorite places. I've always said if I retired tomorrow, hey, where would you go live, Merrick? Man, I would really think long and hard about Sedona. I love it there. Um, I want Arizona to work. The mullet arena experience looks like a really interesting one. And people that I've talked to who have gone and had that experience, like it's not Montreal, Saturday night, 701. I get it. I understand that. It's different. That is, you know, steeped in history and ghosts of the forum and the rocket and, and all of that. It's much different. You can say it's a college experience with NHL players, and it is, but you don't get to see that, you know, outside of going to see, you know, Craft Hockeyville every year if it's in a neighboring town or in your town. It's, uh, I, I really want to go see a game at Mullet Arena. If you have, please DM me. Uh, email jmshow at sportsnet.ca. Let me know what that experience is like um, because I want to go have it while they're there before they get the uh, the new rink. I understand all the complications come with it. I know all the disadvantages and I know all the, the economic issues, but it does kind of look like a really cool experience. Um, the other thing with the Arizona Coyotes, uh, if you missed it, today they picked up the contract of Jacob Voracek. Uh, and a sixth-round pick in exchange for John Gillies, the netminder. So uh, a lot of that contract, I believe, is covered off by insurance. Um, so it allows them to get to the salary cap floor, which is important because 
I don't think the guy that I just talked to is anywhere close to uh, to moving players. Like I think a lot of us wonder um, about Nick Schmaltz, for example, and I know he carries term, but. I think a lot of us wonder, you know, could that be, could he be one of the players uh, that gets moved here? I think people have wondered about Lawson Kraus as well. And if you look at how those types of players have moved, and if you look at, you know, what the return has been for players like Tanner Janot of the Nashville Predators, might be pretty tempting if you're the Arizona Coyotes to look to move on from someone like Lawson Kraus to move your program forward. Having said that, I know he's only 25 years old. I think a lot of us have wondered about Karel Vimelka, the uh, the netminder who's been outstanding this season, was great last year as well. And really sort of, you know, every time I would check on anyone's uh, goalie department about Vimelka, I'd always get the answer like, yeah, probably not a consistent NHLer, you know, probably a you know career backup, et cetera. He's been great. He's been great and flat out at times. You know, Vimelka has stolen games for the Arizona Coyotes. And the other thing that I will say about Arizona, and I know everyone wants to just trash him and dump on Arizona. I'm I'm not interested in, and never have been interested in, you know, just joining in a in a pile on. Um, not interested, not my style, don't like doing it. Here's what I'd rather say about the Arizona Coyotes. What impresses me, and I know they're not going to make the playoffs and they've only won 21 games. I get it. But this is a credit to not only the players, um, but also to Andre Tournier, their head coach, who I don't think gets enough credit. Now, Tournier was brought in for one very specific, well, a couple of reasons. One, he's an excellent coach. But two, he's an excellent coach with young players. And whether it's his work in junior hockey, whether it's work at the uh, the World Juniors, this is a guy that knows how to reach and coach the young athlete in the game right now. And as you know, Armstrong just mentioned a second ago, this is an un, you know they're trending towards an unprecedented number of draft picks in the next few seasons as they essentially buy lottery tickets. And some lottery tickets are more guaranteed than the others, but they're still in the process of buying lottery tickets. That's what Arizona does. This is going to be a, a young team for a lot of years. And if you're going to be predominantly young, you need to have a coach that can reach the young athlete, can coach the young athlete. And Andre Tournier has been that guy in junior hockey before and is very much that guy at the uh, NHL level. Um, I know he doesn't get a lot of headlines, but I just want to – Make sure that his name gets shouted out a little bit here, at least from my little corner. Um, Andre Tourney's done a real good job in a really challenging situation. I think a lot of people have done a really good job in a challenging situation. I think Bill Armstrong has done a really good job in a really challenging situation. You know, one of the great skills now, more so than ever, and this is maybe most specific to the salary cap universe and is going to continue as we see more corporate entities like Fenway Sports buy multiple teams and run their organizations much like we see traditional corporations run theirs, you know, whether it's, you know, immediate feedback and weekly notes and meetings and shared responsibilities and collaboration, etc. Um, the ability to manage upwards is going to become much more of a skill than we've ever seen at the National Hockey League level. Like, I'll be blunt with you. I don't think Bill Armstrong wanted to make a lot of these deals the way that he's made them. I don't think that Bill Armstrong is too thrilled 
at, you know, getting phone calls from his pro scouts on the road saying, why are we here? We're not taking contracts back. We're not taking money. Why are we here? I know the hockey guy in Bill Armstrong doesn't like that one bit. But managing upwards, this thing, you know, Craig Morgan has written about this extensively. Like Morgan's right there and has his thumb on the pulse. Um, this is going to be run right along the margin. Like this is going to, this entire operation in Arizona is going to be run right on the level of this is what we have to spend and we're going to really try not to spend much more than that. So it makes it challenging. Makes it challenging for Bill Armstrong. Makes it challenging for, you know, anyone in that organization. John Ferguson, their assistant general manager, the pro scouts, the amateur scouts, everybody. And there's a lot of pressure that goes along with it. I think the fact that they're not at a historically playing at a historically bad clip right now, given all the economic realities and how much they're running this thing or trying to on a shoestring, I think is a real testament to everybody in that organization underneath management uh, and certainly the head coach, Andre Tournier. Um, let's bring Matt Marchese and our uh, producer in advance of Kevin Allen dropping by at the uh, at the bottom of the hour. What did you make of the uh, the Bill Armstrong interview there? As you do instant audit on what Bill had to say, I think he was as honest as possible. Um, he he talked a lot about so draft picks, and so when we look at Arizona, they have yeah. thirty six picks in the next three drafts, and twenty one of those picks are in the first three rounds. So you talk about Andre. Can I Trini bring something and- up? Can I bring sure? something up? Can I bring something up? Here's here's one of the things, and I I didn't want to be rude and stop Bill while he was talking about that, and we had a certain time constraints so we had to get out too. It's one thing to have all those picks, and that's that's great. And you look at draft picks like lottery tickets, that's fine. You know what the problem with all of that is, Maddie? Yeah, they're lottery tickets. No, you can only carry fifty contracts. Yeah, that's also true. At the end, you can have as many picks as you want. At the end of it, you have 50 contracts. Like that is the playing field that everybody works from. That's the only sort of fly in the ointment here. You can have all these picks, and that is the like that is the plan. Like they're gonna <clears throat> they're gonna stumble upon some players in like the fourth, fifth, sixth round just because they have the volume of picks to say nothing of all the picks at the upper end of the draft, but they're going to stumble upon some beauties as well. Like it's going to be an intriguing team. And again, a lot of it's going to depend on development too. And I I get all that, but um, it's one thing to have all those picks, but you always have to remember you can only carry 50. You can only carry 50. And not only that, Jeff, here's the thing. If, eventually they are going to have to pay players. Like eventually this is going to happen. If you want to be able to keep your franchise afloat and have people coming to the arena. The other thing is, is that they've built up enough draft capital that listen, we all know people get enamored with draft capital and maybe they can use these picks to move up. Maybe they can use these picks to acquire younger talent. Like there, there is, I guess a, a chance that this idea does work out, but you're there's there's no way they're making 36 picks over the next three years. It's it's not it's not going to happen. But if you're looking at it from an asset mm. value um, perspective, then yes, there there's a plan in place here, and maybe it does work out. I just you know I I'm not going to lie. I feel bad for Bill Armstrong because he's he's very handcuffed, and he knew the situation going in with Arizona. Like, and it's one of 32 GM jobs, so you know. All of this going in, but that is not an easy thing to handle, especially knowing 
that you, you really handcuffed in terms of what you can and can't do. And just, you know, for me, look at the Jacob Chikrin trade as, as you know, the, the top, uh, the top um, reason for all of that is that, you know, he couldn't take any money mm-hmm. coming back. Maybe he got less of a package because of it, because frankly, you know, with what they were looking for, what was being rumored that they were looking for from Ottawa is a far cry from when they ended up getting. Well, you know, last season, you know, the uh, a lot of the talk with Jacob Trickwin was they wanted to do they wanted to do the Brent Burns deal, which again, like, you know, let me, let me just grab it here. Um uh, the Brent Burns deal was essentially three first-round draft picks, which is a combination uh, of them. So the Brent Burns-Minnesota Wild deal was in exchange for Devin Setaguchi, Charlie Coyle, and a first-round pick. That turned into Zach Phillips, plays junior St. John with the Sea Dogs. Um, those are essentially those are for three, three first-round picks. We just thought that there would be players associated with this. Like there were, um, there were more than a few nervous Los Angeles Kings player on Super Bowl players on Super Bowl weekend when we first heard that there. Well, when Jacob Chickwin was held out for trade-related reasons, um, and we knew that there were negotiations with the Los Angeles Kings for the services of the left-hand shot um, Jacob Chickwin. There were a lot of players that thought that they could be going. You know, Brant Clark, who was a prospect, thought he could be going. I wonder about, you know, I wonder about Walker. I wonder about Dursey. You know, I wonder about Turcott. Like these types of guys, like, are they thinking to themselves, you know what, I might be going in this deal here. But as it became obvious, and we saw with the Ottawa Senators deal, and I don't know what the holdup on money was, if it was trying to attach a Cal Peterson to the contract, or maybe it's just the presence of those other players that have actual contracts. We have to pay them actual money that held everything up. Um, it did get more and more obvious here that they were not in the bringing money back business. And then we saw the Shea Weber deal, and now we see uh, the deal for Jake Voracek's contract so they can make their moves, get their picks, and still make it to the salary cap floor. I don't think this is something the NHL particularly likes. I really don't. Um, But they're not contravening the CBA at all. I mean, you could argue about things like the spirit of the CBA, and we heard that a lot a million years ago during the Ilya Kovalchuk situation, but they're not contravening the salary cap, and they're not contravening the CBA at all. What they're doing is using the CBA to their advantage. Don't know that it does well for the image, probably quite the opposite, but they're not breaking any CBA rules here by any stretch of the imagination. Anyhow, um, Patrick Kane makes his debut tonight for the Rangers. We'll see when Jacob Trickwin makes his debut debut for the Ottawa Senators. Uh, let's get on the Detroit Red Wings page here in a couple of moments. Quick break. We're back with Kevin Allen uh, from Hockey Buzz covering the Detroit Red Wings for Detroit Hockey Now. Um, Steve Eisenman busy. A couple of things, some trades and a big signing. Dylan Larkin and his eight-year extension as well. Jake Wallman. What a season he's had. Like Jake Wallman has been real good for the Detroit Red Wings. Good to see him get a uh, a just reward for his, his service. Uh, we'll talk about the Heronic deal. We'll talk about the Tyler Bertuzzi deal from today. Kevin Allen, uh, the guy that knows everything about the Detroit Red Wings, joins me next. The Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network simulcast on Sportsnet 360. The most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. 
All right, welcome back to the program. In um, in true Steve Eiserman fashion, stealth, surprise, shock. The trade yesterday with the Vancouver Canucks, Philip Pronick. Today, the trade, Tyler Bertuzzi to the Boston Bruins. Yesterday, the signing of Dylan Larkin. Jake Wallman resigns as well. All done Eiserman slash stealth mode. Kevin Allen knows that. He's covered Detroit for a long time. Uh, Kevin from uh, Detroit Hockey Now and the Hockey Buzz as well. Kevin, how are you today? I'm doing great, and you're just so right on. Uh, Steve Eisenman is an international man of mystery. Uh, he's very difficult <laughs> to read. You know, I was at his very first day of training camp in Port Huron, Michigan in 1983. So I have followed his entire mm-hmm. career. Um, and I know him well. I've watched him, and I never have any idea, uh, you know, the, what he's thinking, <laughs> what he's going on. I mean, think about all the deals he's made. I mean, that Hironi deal, yeah. there was absolutely zero rumors about Hironi. He wasn't on anybody's list to be traded. There were no rumors coming out of Vancouver. No. Not only does he never say a word, but he gets the other side not to talk about it either, and that's hard to do because there's some talkers out there, as you know. And, uh, you know, you think back, the Manta-Verana uh, trade that happened, yep. and, you know, Nothing came out about that. When he, you know, made the move on Huso, there were no rumors to that effect. The Delkovich, there were no rumors to that. You know, he just slides in, you know, discusses things, keeps it all quiet. He doesn't even talk about it with uh, the people within his organization. And, uh, you know, I, I think, um, you know, he's decided, uh, whether it's true or not, I don't know, that that's the most effective way to, um, to make deals is to not broadcast what you're up to. And he, you know, he doesn't like it when the media knows, but he also doesn't like it when other teams know what he's up to. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a um, there's a name that Elliot and I now have for him, and it is the new Lou. That's how yeah. we refer to Steve Eiserman yeah. now. It's completely, completely. Um, it's uh, uh, completely, completely stealth and completely silent. Well, let's get to the uh, the deal for today. Um, Tyler yeah. Bertuzzi. Here, here's how this whole saga has has felt to me. Um, it's felt like, well, first of all, you know, I, I spoke with his uh, agent Todd Reynolds a few weeks ago, and I asked about any contract negotiations, anything, and he said, no, we haven't had anything since the beginning of the season. And even that was just a, a quick conversation. Um, it felt very much like Tyler Bertuzzi was being considered as a trade candidate, and then Detroit got hot. I think they got within, I think it was like one point of the, of the, uh, uh, of the, of the cut line for the playoffs, and all of a sudden, Iserman stopped all conversations, and then when they lost that pair against the Ottawa Senators, it was back on again. Is that, as far as you're able to glean, Kevin, is that accurate? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a fair assessment. Um, I, you know, the only thing I would add is I don't think Steve ever believed um, that this team was, uh, you know, playoff worthy. Now that doesn't mean he didn't believe that it could have, you know, squeezed in because they were playing very well. But I, you know, I think he's always felt that there's still so much more work to do. And I don't think he ever thought he was going to get Tyler Bertuzzi signed. Um, I think, and it, it, you know, some people think it's all about the vaccination. It, It really isn't. There had been tension before then, you know, previous negotiations hadn't gone well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my sense was is that 
Um, you know, they wanted to talk about goal scoring and everything else. And Eisenman likes to discuss, you know, what are you doing for my team? He doesn't like the, the goal scoring comparables. Um, and they, they just never really hit it off in terms of their approaches to negotiation. So I think that was part of it. Mm-hmm. But um, so I, I didn't think I said from the beginning, I thought Larkin would get signed. It took a heck of a lot longer than I thought, but I thought he would get signed because, mm-hmm. you know, he wanted to play here. He's uh, homegrown. Yep. And, and, you know, you got to pay some homage to that, even if, you know, you don't want to. And uh, I, I know probably Steve thinks, well, you know, he's, we're paying him like a superstar and maybe he's not quite there. But um, I think he knew he had to get him signed because he is a good captain. But with Bertuzzi, I think he never believed that it was going to get done. You know, the interesting thing about Bertuzzi now is he could go, because the last time we saw him in the playoffs, he was the best player in the playoffs, but that was Grand Rapids, and that was the American yeah, Hockey League. HL, um, yeah. And we had been waiting for, yeah, we had been waiting to see Tyler Bertuzzi in the playoffs, and I think we all, you know, looked at that his time with GR and said, man, can you imagine when the Detroit Red Wings were there, and he's playing with Dylan Larkin, and how good he's going to be? He might go from not having a single games experience in the playoffs to winning the Stanley Cup, Kevin. That, yeah, that that he, could happen here with Tyler Bertuzzi. Yeah, I mean he's developed a which is really remarkable uh, a reputation for being a playoff guy without ever having played in an NHL playoff game um, because people weird. believe yeah. <laughs> he's, he's going to be really good in the playoffs and it's because of his style. You know, you know he's a disturber. Yeah. Uh, whenever there's trouble, he's first in line. You know, he's not a fighter like he's not a Tom Wilson guy. But, you know, Dylan Larkin broke down today uh, when he was talking about the loss of Tyler Bertuzzi. He said he called him one of my best friends, and he talked about how many times when Dylan, uh, when uh, Tyler Bertuzzi, you know, came to his rescue when, you know, trouble had broke out. And, uh, you know, he just talked about how much this team was going to miss. He was very popular in the room, even though he didn't get along all that well with mm-hmm. management. Uh, he was very popular in the room. So I think this is going to be a significant loss for them. But, you know, his, he's got that style. I mean, over seven games when you're playing the same team, Tyler Bertuzzi's going to wear on you. And he's got that awkward style, but he can play a skilled game. Like, even though he looks, you know, like he's not ready. He looks like a third liner, but he can play on the top line. But here's the one caution that I have for Tyler Bertuzzi. It's not out of the realm of possibility when he gets to another team, particularly Boston. He's going to be a third liner. And I think he wants to hit the jackpot with this next contract. Yep. And, I mean, he could have, you know, a really good playoff, but, you know, he could he could be doing it as a third liner. And, you know, only in Detroit um, did he get the opportunity, I think, to be a first liner because he doesn't look like a first liner when he's, when he's playing, but he makes plays. So it's going to be interesting to mm-hmm. see how the Bruins will see him. What? Because uh, I don't believe that Steve Eiserman is done. Uh, no. What do you think is next? I think we're we're looking at Philip Sedina. We're looking at Jacob Verana. What do you, I know? Like uh, Steve Eiserman is not going to call me this afternoon and tell me what he's doing. I don't think he's going to call no. you either. Um, nope. We talked about how stealthy he is. What What do you think the Detroit Red Wings may have up their sleeve next? Well, I mean, they would dearly love to trade Verona. Um, and uh, for some reason, uh, Steve uh, Eisenman has had his fill of Verona. And uh, with the issues he's had, and it's never been made public what those were, but he ended up in the um, you know, player assistance program. And um, uh, when he came out of that, it's almost 
uh, as if the Roman said, we'll take this opportunity to say, you know, we've never really been pleased about you as a player, uh, Jacob, and we'd like you to become that player. Uh, so they sent him to the minors, and they've asked him to be more defensive, and that's really not his game. So um, he, he hasn't really been able to be anything but the Ron of old, which was pre- he was pretty dynamic, but he just wasn't a, uh, a two-way player. So uh, I think they would like to move on from Verana, and uh, they'd be willing to pay some of his salary in order to do it, but I'm not sure they're going to be able to accomplish that because – you know, he hasn't played much this year, and he's been hurt a lot. So, you know, everyone has seen how yeah. dynamic he could be offensively, but not enough. So I think they'll give that a go. Um, I have a, a unique perspective um, about Sedina. I, I think Eisenman is going to keep him, and this is why. He's become a bargain now. Like, he had 10 goals last year. And yeah, fans are disappointed because he's not the goal scorer that he was. But he plays on the fourth line. Now, if you can get have a skilled guy mm-hmm. like Sedina on your fourth line, making a million dollars less than the average uh, player in the league, you're pretty happy with that. And Eisenman respects Sedina because he works hard. He wants to be a better player. He tries to do everything they tell him. So, you know, yeah, it's been a disappointment. He's not the guy they thought they got when they drafted. But if you start to see him in a different way, you know, they're not all that disappointed to have him down on the fourth line. You know, that's, um, th- that is interesting because, and, you know, going back to your comments about, about Jacob Verana as well and Tyler Bertuzzi and the issues with, uh, w- with management, et cetera. I had a conversation with someone yesterday about Detroit. Um, and this is someone that knows your organization quite well. And he said, look, if you want to know what Iserman is thinking or what Iserman values, go look at the Tampa Bay Lightning. And what's the theme? The theme is character players stay here yep. whether it's your steven stamkos's whether it's your victor hedman's like go out anthony sorelli's alex Kalorn, like good hockey citizens that's what he values and i said well he also you know drafted players like tony d'angelo and etc well hang on he got rid of him like when he identifies you know someone that doesn't fit the culture that he wants to make regardless of the skill set he'll do it and he'll get rid of it he said why should it be any different with the Red Wings? What do you think about that? Character being the driving motivator here. Absolutely. Uh, that's 100% accurate. Um, and, uh, you know, he's looking for guys that are team first guys, you know, as you said, character guys as well, that they're not worried about uh, whether they get 25 or 30 goals. They're worried about winning. Uh, and, you know, he always says, you know, the goals will come if you're winning. And, uh, and there's no question. That's how he view, uh, views everybody. And uh, you look at the like he loves Warren Sider. I heard kind of through the grapevine that, you know, he felt that Sider in that debacle, tennis style, 6-1, 6-2, the whole loss to the Senators that the Red Wings had, uh, <laughs> um, that he was pleased with one guy in that. And that was Warren Sider, who had eight hits in that second game. And, you know, he didn't stop playing. You know, and that's what Eisenman's looking for. He's looking for those guys that even when things are going terrible, they're still playing. You know, Sider's still in their face, you know, uh, still playing hard, still trying to uh, prevent goals and stuff. And that's why, he lo- you know, he loves more Sider. Uh, you know, that's his type of guy. That's who he's looking for. And that's why he took him so high because he sees him as a guy that, you know, just wants to compete hard just to make sure that, uh, 
you know, a team's going to win. And uh, that's how he's trying to build that. But I, I tell you what, it's it's gone slower than Steve Eisenman had hoped. Like, uh, you know, he's had four drafts now. And, um, you know, this team yeah. is still relatively far away. Um, you know, he hasn't got, I mean, compare it to the Ottawa Senators. Uh, I wrote a column last year when I said, who would you rather have, the Senators and the Red Wings? Well, I'd rather have the Senators. <laughs> you know, uh, you know Brady mm-hmm. Kachuk, you know. Uh, and Stutzel, uh, you know, I, I like Lucas Raymond, but, you know, now Jake Sanderson, uh, you know, so they've got their kind of side or different kind of players, but, but you know, they have a premium yep. defenseman. So, and he's a young guy. So, you know, and, and they've got Shane Pendle. I mean, they've got a lot of guys. And the Red Wings, you know, have guys, but not a lot of major difference makers. Uh, and some of it is just they've been unlucky, you know, in terms of not only do you got to be bad to get high picks, but you got to be bad at the right time. Uh, you know, you're going to be in doing this good yeah. draft years and so forth. And, you know, they've, Eisenman has hit home runs. I think everyone agrees on his, on his first round picks because the first round belongs to him. Um, you know, he makes those picks and then he kind of turns it over to Chris Draper. But, um, I think, uh, they really have not hit it out of the park with these other picks or at least uh, not yet. Um, I still think they have some hope for some guys, but. Um, you know, there, it just is taking a long time. And I think Eisenman knew it was going to take a long time too, because, you know, if you listen carefully, he does give you hints about, you know, he told us before the coaching search that he feels he always does the best when he hires people that he's known before. And, uh, you know, and I thought, you know, Malone was going to be a, a possible choice because he hired him in Tampa and sure enough, he was the coach. So, and he, you know, he, he, he talks openly about, sending guys to the minors and liking to see them dominate, that he doesn't mind sending them for a whole year. He did that with Bergman last year. He seems to be doing that with Edmondson this yeah. year as well. So he does sort of tell you, if you listen, uh, what he's thinking. You know, what I what I really thought here, uh, I'll be honest with you, because I, I looked at Eiserman last summer and all the players that he brought in, and I thought, okay, you know, that might be some gentle nudging by ownership. Like, let's move this thing along here. We have a shiny new building. We'd like to, to pack more often and, you know, start to, you know, get into the conversation about the postseason. When Detroit got close... I, I wondered how much ownership would, like, there's only so much you can flex on Steve Eisman. I get it, but, you know, sort of say, like, look, Steve, we're this close. We can't go back. Like, I know you might be able to get a first for Hironic out of Vancouver, but we'd like to have some butts and seats come middle of April here. Do you think that there was any sort of maybe gentle or maybe not so gentle nudging at all? from ownership with Eiserman? Because obviously it didn't work because he's moved Bertuzzi and Aronic. But do you think at any point ownership said, hang on, we're close here. Let's not stop. No, I, I don't. And, uh, you know, it's different now that Mike uh, Illich has gone. Um, it, it, you know, he was a very engaged owner. And um, Eiserman loved him, by the way. And, um, uh, like, if Mike Illich was still alive, um, this – franchise would be even more dynamic because um you know mr i had a personality um he would be in and you know you can ask ken holland uh, he never really interfered he left it all to but you know holland could always read uh and so could jimmy Devolano what Phillips was thinking and you know he would give them license to be uh, you know aggressive and you know he could feel uh, uh, the GMs that were in that chair could feel his support. And I think it's different now. It's a little bit more corporate. Chris Illich is not nearly as involved as his dad was. So I think 
Uh, Eisenman doesn't really feel that uh, pressure. I think he sort of operates hockey operations. It was all kind of part of the Illich family before, and it feels like it's separate now. Like there's Steve on hockey doing mm-hmm. his thing, and then there's the, the business side with Chris Illich doing his thing. Excellent. Um, man, you're on top of it. Kevin, thanks as always for stopping by. I really appreciate the expertise on the Red Wings. Thanks so much for yep. this. See you later. Bye-bye. Kevin Allen from Detroit Hockey Now and Hockey Buzz. It is the Detroit Red Wings. We wonder about other trades that could be on the horizon as uh, Steve Eisenman is uh, picking up assets, picking up first-rounders uh, from teams like the Vancouver Canucks. And we didn't spend nearly enough, well, we didn't really spend any uh, time today talking about what that one meant from the Vancouver side of things, although our affiliate uh, in Vancouver, I'm sure, is talking plenty about it today. Um, but that really was a stealth one that came out of nowhere and I think left a lot of people scratching their heads more so in BC um, than in Michigan. And then the Tyler Bertuzzi news today, he's now a member of the Boston Bruins. And as I mentioned, Tyler Bertuzzi could go from no playoffs with the Detroit Red Wings, he's 27 years old, to winning the Stanley Cup. What a trip. Thanks to Kevin Allen from Detroit Hockey Now for stopping by the program today. Thanks to Bill Armstrong, the Arizona Coyotes general manager. Uh, spent a good chunk of his day, and it's really tough to get it. I'll be honest with you. It's kind of tough to get a GM around this time of year because they're super busy with trade deadline. Earlier this week, we had David Poyle today, Bill Armstrong. Uh, as always, we thank GMs for their time and appearing on this program. Uh, thanks to Jason York from the Coming In Hot Senators podcast, and Elliot Friedman kicked it off uh, from Hockey Night in Canada. General Nick Lance Kennedy, you're both awesome at what you do. Uh, one audio, one video. Thank you, thank you. And Matt Marchese, our producer, Maddie will be in for me tomorrow. I'll be at the desk, hopefully not twiddling my thumbs as our trade deadline coverage gets underway at Sportsnet starting 10 o'clock Eastern. Enjoy another trade deadline day, the real deadline, tomorrow.